open with a word of prayer, shall we? Well, Father God, thank you so much for this time together, and Lord, I ask that as we come before you to hear your word preached and proclaimed, Lord, that you would close our ears to any error that I may speak and open our hearts and minds to what you have for us this morning. And as we continue, Lord, to focus on your second coming this Advent season, Lord, that you would teach us what it means to be as Christians watching and waiting, that you would teach us what it means to be longing for the second coming, that you would teach us what it means, Lord to be caught in between the first coming and that second coming, to be in this inter-interesting period, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I was reading a great story. Um, Kumar, a Christian in South India, was grieved because none of the 13 people that he had invited to come watch a Billy Graham evangelistic broadcast at his home on December 23rd came. And so he began to pray. And so he's praying, and he was praying, Lord, what in the world? What what should I do? And he was sad, and he prayed, and the Lord brought to mind another family that he hadn't thought about. And so around 9 p.m., he felt compelled to invite his wife's sister's family to watch the next night's broadcast. Now, the problem was this family had no phone. They were poor. So Kumar asked a neighbor uh, to bring them to the phone for an urgent message. When his brother-in-law, Satish, reached the phone, Kumar asked him and his family to catch a bus to the city. Now, Satish said, I have no money. So Kumar encouraged him to borrow the money and said that he would reimburse Satish for the tickets. Satish consented, and at 4 a.m., he and his family boarded a bus for the long trip to Kumar's house. Now, this was to watch a Billy Graham crusade. They arrived at 5 p.m. That's dedication. And an hour later, they watched the My Hope telecast from the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. Now afterwards, Kumar gave his testimony and asked if the others wanted to put their faith in Christ. And they were all looking at each other, astonished. And Kumar wondered why. Then Satish, notably distressed, stood up and explained that he had lost his job because the tea factory he worked for had closed. And further, the company, demanding that the family vacate their company-owned house, and seeing no hope, he and his family had decided that the next day, on Christmas Day, that they were going to kill themselves. They were all going to commit suicide. They had no other option. But now they decided to commit their lives to Jesus Christ. And so they prayed with Kumar to accept Christ. Satish said that he felt like a new man, and after staying several more days with Kumar, the family returned home, ready to, res- to accept a new future and face that future with Jesus Christ. It turns out that there is a big world out there. Most of us don't understand that. We live most of our lives with blinders on. We just want to look at the world around us. We go to work. We go home. We have this small world that encompasses us, and we think that is it. Unless you've traveled, unless you've gone on missions trips, unless you've gotten out of this little zone you're in, you think that's all that there is. Have you gotten out in that world? Have you seen that there is more around us than just this? And there's a big world out there that doesn't know Jesus. Did you know about that world? Have you thought about going out into that world to share Jesus? Have you entertained the thought 
of being a missionary? Have you ever entertained the thought of supporting missionaries? Have you ever thought about sharing your faith? Have you ever shared your faith? I ask this question all the time, and hopefully over the last year or years, you've begun to do that. And how many of you have shared your faith with another person in the last week or month, year, two years, in your lifetime? And if you can't answer yes to that, and you're a Christian, why not? Do you believe the gospel? Do you believe the truth of the gospel? And if you can answer yes to those questions, may I encourage you to think about the next step. Have you thought about going overseas and sharing your faith? Have you thought about supporting missions? In this morning's passage, Peter's going to show us that these questions about sharing our faith and going and doing missions and supporting missions are more than simply good things for Christians to ponder. They're absolutely central to who we are as Christians. Did you know that? We often don't think that. See, a lot of us as Christians think that the central point to being a Christian is to going to church on Sunday. Excuse me, is going to church on Sunday. Right? I mean, that's how we act. Maybe doing a Bible study here and there, or maybe feeling good about ourselves. Or if you watch Joel Osteen, like, name it and claim it and getting good things. But that's really not what the gospel is about. See, if you follow the lives of the disciples, how many of them named it and claimed it? How many of them died rich men? Jesus must not have been a successful Christian. He died the wrong way. But I thought God was sent to bless us. <laughs> he does bless us, but not the way that maybe some of the modern preachers want him to. Peter's writing to a large region that covers <clears throat> what today is roughly Turkey. That's what he's writing to in this, uh, in this letter. And if you're in 1 Peter, that's what we think. We know in 1 Peter that's who he's writing to. And we think that this letter in 2 Peter is to the same congregation. And if you were going to kind of map out this region, it's huge. And so this letter of 2 Peter and 1 Peter is actually written to a huge region. So some letters... Some of the apostles' letters were written to one particular group, right, Philemon. Some letters were written to one particular church, Corinth, Romans. But even within those churches, they were maybe circulated to a bunch of churches. But per Peter is written to a region. It was actually dropped in on a church, and then it was circulated among a large group of churches. And that's what's happening with Peter. So Peter, the letter here, covers Galatia, Bianthia, of Ephesus, Laodicea, Io, uh, sorry, Iconium, man, my tongue is twisted today, Philadelphia, Miletus, so basically a boatload of famous churches, but also a boatload of non-famous churches, right? 
Like we all, I always think about this as a pastor. We all think about like the famous people in history. Everybody knows Billy Graham, who I just mentioned, right? And we all want to be Billy Graham as Christians. And I always wonder, who was Billy Graham's Sunday school teacher, right? Who was Billy Graham's mom? Who was Billy, like all these people who impacted the people who were famous. We never know about those people. We never know about all the people out in the hinterlands who made a huge difference and all these people who impacted the famous people. We'll never know about them, but they're just as important. And Peter is actually going out, and he's the small-town preacher. Paul is hitting these big towns. Peter's going out, and he's hitting all these small towns. And Peter's writing a letter to these small towns, and this letter is going out to all these general small-town churches, and that makes this letter pretty important to us. It's kind of an important letter. And because it's going out to all these small-town churches, it makes it a general, a broad letter, and we can all learn from it because it's not so specific. And that makes this passage really helpful for all of us. In the case of our passage this morning, Peter's answering a question that Christians have asked throughout the millennia, and we are, uh, throughout the millennia, and we are no different in this question. And the question is this, 3, 1 through 4. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you. Beloved, in both of them I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing that, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires, that they will say, where is the promise of his coming? Ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. So you can see here that scoffers aren't much different than modern scoffers. Scoffers have existed from the beginning of time. <clears throat> they write about scoffers in the Old Testament. They write about scoffers in the New Testament. And they're scoffers today. If you're a student of history, you have learned, well, if you're a good student of history and of human nature, you will learn throughout history that human nature does not really change. It just, it hasn't. We may think that in our contemporary period of time, that we are better and wiser and smarter than other people, but it really turns out that we aren't. What has really changed in the last 150, 200 years is that technology has changed. We're living in a period of time where technology has just increased rapidly, like really rapidly, like faster than any other period of time. Like in other periods of time, we've had rapid change. Like we discovered fire, that was pretty rapid. The wheel, that, was, that really changed things. We went from the Bronze Age to the Iron Age. Man, when you had Bronze Age warriors fighting Iron Age warriors, they couldn't compete. The Iron Age warriors won the battle. But you think about in my lifetime, I'm 50, right? So about the time I was born, we landed on the moon. Think about that. And then some of the young kids can't imagine this. When I was a teenager, I was using, you, you might not even know what this is. It was called a typewriter. A typewriter. You punched keys. It was really hard when I learned to type. Punch, 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 punch. It hurt my fingers. I was terrible at it, and I typed. And like later on, I learned how to write on a computer, and we used a thing called a floppy disk. Remember those? They were awful. And I would type papers, and your computer randomly 
would lose your paper, typically right before you turned it in. We'd just do it. And I almost, my wife caught me one day getting ready to throw my computer out the window. She stopped me. Yeah, it was awful. Anyway, that was in our lifetime. We didn't have cell phones. And you think about what's changed. Like right now, you all are surprised that I'm preaching to you from a computer right now that is unplugged. I typed my sermon on it. And the young ones are surprised that I'm not preaching to you from a tablet, which actually hurts my brain because I've got some condition. And I'm preaching to a room full of engineers, some of whom are planning trips to Mars. And that's just in our lifetime. You think about that. People 300 years ago couldn't have planned about that. They couldn't have thought about that. And so in our time period, that's led us to become arrogant. We think that we're smarter and better and sharper than any group behind us any group that was way back. But are we really? See, every generation kind of thinks they're smarter than their parents. Maybe not every generation. But our generation kind of thinks that. And the new generation rising up really has been trained to think that. But are we really? And so we scoff, and we scoff, and especially in our generation. And we have a scientific generation that loves to scoff at the things of faith. Faith can't be true. And that's what we're finding happening more and more. And so what's happening is people are scoffing at the second coming. But it turns out that this isn't new. In Paul's day, this was happening. In Peter's day, this was happening. It was happening in 800 A.D. It was happening in 1000 A.D., it was happening in 1500 A.D. It was happening in Thomas Jefferson's day. It was happening in the Age of Enlightenment. It was happening in 1700. It was happening in 1800. There will always be people who scoff, where is the Lord? When is he coming? He is not real. And so Peter's answering this question. You fools, you follow scripture. It says Jesus is coming. It's been thousands of years, and where is he? His response is surprising. It's 2 Peter 3, 5 through 7. For they deliberately, deliberately overlooked this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water, and, though the wa and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged, with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. It's a surprising answer because what he says is this, and when you think about it, it really makes a lot of sense. He says, look, how many of you were there for the creation of the world? By a show of hands, none. And yet it happened. And yet, it was astonishing when it did happen. We don't really know how it happened, but it was amazing when it did. It was astonishing when it happened. We weren't there. It was a big event, and it shocked us if we could have seen it. It happened. 
The flood also happened. It was an astonishing event. So astonishing was it that people were scoffing and mocking Noah. This thing couldn't happen. And then it happened, and they were astonished when it happened. These things shocked people when they happened. People didn't believe it. And Peter says, look, these big things happen, and they happened in the past. They will also happen in the future. People don't believe it because this is our nature. We can't believe these big things are going to happen, but we look back in time, and we saw that big things do, in fact, happen, and we can understand that big things will, in fact, happen in the future. Just because we don't want to, and just because cynics say big things can't happen, doesn't mean that they don't happen, because we know that they have happened. Does that make sense? Cynicism, he says, is a part of the human condition. And just because a cynic doesn't want it to happen, and just because they mock, doesn't make it any less real. In Noah's day, plenty of people scoffed at him for building the ark until the floods came. And then after Noah's day, plenty of people scoffed and said it wasn't real again. Plenty of people said the Messiah would never come the first time, and then he did, and people scoffed and said he wasn't the Messiah when he was there. And then he died and rose again, and plenty of people scoffed and said it didn't happen afterwards. Scoffers are always going to scoff. And that's part of the important point of what Peter's saying. You see, a thousand years from now, people are going to scoff at the events of this era, actual, true, factual events. People are going to be saying, look, these things actually happened. And cynics will say, no, nah, that's not true. It didn't really happen that way. And they're going to be derided as fools. That's always the way it is. For us, though, this passage is a source of comfort. Not because it just answers cynics. Because many cynics will never accept an answer. And you need to understand that. And the sooner you understand that, the better off you'll be. Proverbs 14.6 says this, A scoffer seeks wisdom in vain, but knowledge is easy for a man of understanding. A scoffer is never going to accept wisdom. That's what he says. Knowledge is easy for a man of understanding. And so the point here is this. Peter's point is deep, deeper. 2 Peter 3.8-9. Do not overlook this one fact, beloved. That with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some would count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So this passage is meant to be an encouragement to believers. So why hasn't the Lord come again? That's the question we all ask. Why hasn't he come yet? Well, the reason that there is a delay in the coming of the Lord well, this passage is kind of sophisticated. It contains theological, scientific, and philosophical depth, to be sure. And we could, we could debate it, and I could talk to you, and there's a lot of theological mining to be done here. But mainly, the reason is grounded in the deep love of God when you look at this passage. That's the main answer. Why hasn't he come again? In its simplest form, there is a number of saints that God has marked for salvation from before the foundation of the world, and that number has not yet been reached. And that number spans across the millennia. You see, we sometimes are a little bit selfish, not always, but we are limited in our perspective. 
What we don't understand, what you don't understand, and what I don't understand is what I saw when I went to Rome. When I went to Rome, I walked through their museums. And one of the museums that I walked through, they had these fantastic tapestries on the wall. When I'm talking about fantastic tapestries, these artists, I still don't get how they did it. You know, some people paint, right? Some people are musicians. Uh, some people carve stones. I get carving. I get painting. I get music. What I don't get is tapestries. These people made amazing works of art by weaving. And these things were like huge. I'm talking like the size of the wall. And they would weave threads the size of the wall, and they would weave art. I don't know how you do that. And you think about that, and you think about that as a time period, and they would tell these stories along this tapestry, and each of us is a thread in that piece of art. Each piece of thread has no idea how it fits in that wall. That's us. We have a part to play. You're just a thread. That's all you are. And we whine and wonder and think, woe is me, and why does this, and why did this happen to me, and why did I go through this, and what happened to me? And I wonder about that with my ancestors. How many of my ancestors had a really bad time? A thousand years ago, or two thousand years ago, beaten, imprisoned, or whatever. And they thought, wow, this is horrible, not knowing that the next generation and the next generation or five generations was going to be better off. Or a hundred generations was going to come to Christ. Or 15 generations down the line was going to be a king. Or 25 generations down, you're now going to be 10,000 people strong. None of us knows that, but that's what happened. All of us went back to the dawn of time from Adam, right? We don't know. We don't see that tapestry, and yet we are part of that tapestry. And what Peter is saying here is what? We're part of something much bigger. God doesn't see time like we see time. A day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is a day. And he still has many more souls to come. This tapestry is not yet complete. There are many more generations that have to come to Christ. Well, we don't know how many more. But there were many in the past, and there may be many more. And that's what Peter is saying. And when you think about it in that perspective, it's incredible. And that's why you share your faith with your kids, by the way. Because you're not just sharing your faith with your children. You're sharing your faith with your children in hopes that they share with their children and their children and their children and their children and their children. You are impacting your great-grandchildren and your great-grandchildren and your great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-
If you came over on a slave ship, you could only travel so far. If you came on over on poor immigrant ships, you could only travel so far. If you came over from certain parts of the country or the world, you don't even have immigrant records. So it just it doesn't matter. You can only go a little bit back far. But if you look in the biblical accounts, if you look in the biblical accounts, if you look in Matthew and Luke, you can trace it back to Adam or to Abraham. And you get to scan over this, and you get to see how many generations were impacted. How many generations were in the line of salvation? It's, it's kind of like a stone skimming across the surface. I don't believe all generations are covered in those, by the way. I just think the stone is skimming across the surface. But it's important. And these genealogies are meant to show us a truth that in the history of generation, in the history, of, excuse me, of re- redemption, we are cogs in a long line. And that line keeps going. The people of God fill the earth and spread out among all nations. And we're part of something much greater than ourselves. Father Scott said last week, there are many nations yet to hear the gospel of Jesus preached. Many nations yet to hear it. Many believers out there have not heard. Anglican Frontier Missions, Chris Royer came to preach and teach to us. And he said there are many thousands of people groups who have yet to hear the gospel of Jesus preached in their language. Preached to them. Why is that? Why have they not heard the gospel of Jesus preached to them? Why not? Because there are many believers who have yet to go and preach the good news to them. And why haven't they? Laziness or fear or materialism or all of the above? Well, if you want to know the answer to that question, do this for me. I want everyone here and at home, close your eyes. I want you to quiet yourself, and I want you to enter into a prayerful state. So let's do that now. I want you to ask the Lord to reveal the answer. Why have these people not heard the gospel of Jesus? Father, why have they not heard the gospel? Why are there nations who have not heard the gospel of Jesus? And then ask yourself, what are you doing to help advance the spread of the gospel? Are you giving to missions? Are you praying for missions? Have you considered going into the missions field yourself? Why not consider going? Why not consider giving to missions? And then ask the Lord, how can you do more?
So we as believers in the U.S. often have a hard time committing to supporting missions long-term and short-term. And this means often that missionaries have a hard time being in the field. They often have to come back and raise support, often can't spend enough time out in the field. So I encourage you to to find missionaries. We here at at, uh, at St. Andrews, we do support. We're given 2.5% of our budget, and we're trying to increase it every year to give support to missionaries. But I support, I encourage you all to support missions. But I encourage you more this week to find missionaries to pray for them, to find missionaries to actually support and to pray for every week, just in your daily devotions as a family. And I encourage you to pray for missionaries to be raised up. And I encourage you to think about going on short-term missions and long-term missions. Think about that. To Think about raising your children up to think about that as well. We as American Christians struggle with that. It's hard to want to go in the missions field. Well, it's not really hard. It's hard for us because we're saturated in a materialistic, secularistic, science-worshiping culture. But God is focused on eternity. And that's what Advent reminds us that we are called to be about. We are to have an eternal focus. And we're going to end with this because Peter says this in 3.10. The day of the Lord will come like a thief, and the heavens will pass away with the roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. And just as the flood shocked folks in the day of Noah, so will his return. And just as the scoffers said that the Messiah would never arrive in the first time that he did, they're saying he won't come again, and it'll shock him when he comes again. And folks, we as believers aren't supposed to be focused on his second coming. We're supposed to be focused on sharing the gospel and living a life that pleases him. That's what we're supposed to be about until he comes again.